Today we begin a new series of messages on what book? Did you read it? Thank you, thank you. First John's an unusual book. There are only a couple of books that don't name the author of the book, Hebrews being the other. And it's also a book that doesn't name the recipients who the letter was directed to. So it's considered a general epistle. Epistle is just a fancy word that means letter. It would have been a letter that would have been circulated among the churches. Because remember, there was no Bible at this time. So they had the Torah, the Old Testament, although not many possessed that actually. And then the New Testament teaching about Christ was contained mostly in letters that were circulated. Now this letter was written no later than A.D. in the 90s by the Apostle John. Now we know that mostly by just internal evidence, the way it was written, the things it deals with. The, and the word apostle means sent one, someone who is authorized by God to go as a messenger or a delegate. So it was a person with some authority over the churches. All of the disciples were considered apostles, but so was Paul. And because they all had an experience with Christ. They all saw Christ in the flesh. So that's what essentially apostle means. John could be easily considered Jesus' closest friend. The the gospel of John refers to him as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it says it three times in that book alone. This series that are beginning today, five messages including today's, is entitled, Just So You Know. And it refers to knowing you are saved. The word saved has many synonyms. um, Born again, regenerate, converted. uh, Several different phrases, words refer to the same spiritual principle. A primary purpose for the writing of this letter. You heard Gene quote it, but it's found in 1 John 5.13. So I want you to turn there, and we'll be in 1 John throughout this morning. 1 John 5, 13. John, Jude, and Revelation. So you're right toward the end of the Bible. 1 John 5, 13. And you see that there in your Bibles, first off, when the Bible was written, it had no paragraph numbers. Do you know that? It had no verse numbers. Some guy on a horse wrote in the numbers. And um, that's why some of them seem broken in strange places. But there also are no subheadings. Although these subheadings are helpful to us, but they're not in the original text. But this verse comes under the conclusion. So I think the, the person that put that in is correct that John is summing up what he has said that's important. And he says, I have written this to you. Who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know you have eternal life. Today's message which is an introduction to this series actually. Is titled being sure I'm saved. The subject of salvation is too serious. Its outcome is too critical for guesswork or wishful thinking, 
or a belief based on bad theology, unbiblical theology. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Sometimes in church, you'll hear, don't, don't let anybody question your salvation. How dare you ask me if I'm saved? That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture says, test yourself. Take a long, hard look. Because to make an assumption that turns out false is not only fatal, it's fatal for eternity. So there's nothing wrong with us examining ourselves again. I don't mean in a hypercritical way. And we shouldn't treat ourselves that way or each other. But to take a look in the mirror at myself fairly often is very healthy. For us to say, well, how dare you challenge my salvation? How dare you question it? That's like me telling my doctor, how dare you take an x-ray of me to see if I have a tumor? Because spiritual fatality is far long-lasting than a physical fatality. We must know where we stand before God. And it must be based on what God says about salvation in His Word. Not based on our opinion. Not based on what we think. Because what you believe will determine your existence for all eternity. It's too serious. This determination shouldn't be put off. It shouldn't be delayed because... It has to be made while we are alive. And we don't know when those days end. I don't, I don't preach fear messages. But this is just a truthful message where we're taking a, a look at what God through John says about the process of salvation. Over the next four weeks, we will look at evidence of salvation from 1 John. 1 John 3 gives us a summary. It's just on the top of the page where you're open at, at 5. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name. Name is a comprehensive reference. That's in Jesus' name is, is in the nature, the personality, the personhood, the character, the behavior, the actions of Jesus. So name is a comprehensive reference. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the first evidence. And love one another. That's the second evidence. Just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments. That's the third evidence. Remain in fellowship with him. And he with them. And we know he lives in us. Because the spirit he gave us lives in us. That's the fourth evidence. And so in each of the next four weeks, I'll deal with one of these evidences. The first will be what I believe. And that's on your outline. And what I believe will focus on the essential facts or the doctrinal truths for salvation. See, unfortunately, we have, we have reduced the good news to being, do you believe these facts? And that is a part, that's an, an essential element of salvation, but it's not the totality. It's the first part. Do you believe these facts? That's the doctrinal test of salvation. The next message will be how I behave. 
which will deal with whether our actions and lifestyles reflect faith. Behavioral test, obviously. The third message will focus on whom I love. In other words, what's my attitude toward other Christians? Relational test. The final message in this series will address what the Spirit does in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are born again, you possess the Spirit of God within, and He's doing some things. So that's another evidence or confirmation of our conversion is the work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, these messages are not intended to create doubt or fear. These messages are intended to confirm our faith. But if these messages cause questions to rise in you, then we'll have counselors every week. We've been doing this for for quite a while. And you can talk to someone on Sunday morning. You can call the office. You can meet with someone. We offer classes so that you can figure out where you stand. Now, this is what I believe. Anyone who wants to be saved will be. Because the Spirit of God's first step is showing you you are lost. And then you flee to Christ. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The letter of 1 John also addresses stages of spiritual growth. Anything that is alive and healthy grows and develops. Is that right? You can say, well, Perry, you, look, you don't look as good as you used to. You're getting older. But let me tell you, but I've got brand new red blood cells coursing through me right now. I may look all beat down on the outside, but inside I'm still vibrant and alive. And if you are alive, you are growing and developing. That's true of everything in the, in the physical world. It's true of plants. It's true of animals. It's also true spiritually. If you're alive and healthy, you will grow. God gave us a spiritual life as a beginning of a supernatural relationship that's intended to grow and develop to maturity. Now, the process of growth is called discipleship or spiritual formation. And spiritual growth is not determined by the length of time you've been in church. Even the length of time you've actually been a Christian. Or the amount of volunteer service activity you do. Even good Christian service activity. It's not even based on whether or how much you give financially. Your spiritual maturity doesn't determine your standing before God or how much He loves you. Spiritual growth or formation is a matter of sanctification. All that word means is becoming more like Christ. That's a process. I'm not talking, when I'm speaking of maturity and growth, I'm not talking about justification. That's not a process. That happened as an event when God declared you righteous. Declared you saved. So we're not talking about that in terms of of stages of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth occurs whenever we're spiritually alive. That's the first condition. 
but it requires effort on our part. We have the responsibility to advance in our faith. Just like any other relationship. You can compare it to being married. You know, when we become a Christian, we become the bride of Christ. But let's assume when you got married. I was there. Performed the ceremony. Both of you look good in white. But let's say when I signed the license, which a pastor, that's the last thing that happens. A pastor signs the license. You're married officially. What if that's the end? And Jared, what if you said, well, now we're married. Good. So now I can do whatever I want to do. Barbara, you can do whatever you want to do. We'll meet back maybe for our 50th anniversary. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Because you see, beginning that relationship, marriage, a marriage ceremony, is an invitation into intimacy. Unfortunately, our culture just, well, our culture today doesn't even think physical intimacy needs a marriage. But let's say, assuming it's an invitation, but it's not an invitation only to physical intimacy. It's an invitation to emotional intimacy. It's an invitation to spiritual intimacy, which is really what marriage is and how it can be compared with a Christian's relationship with Christ. So when we're born again, what if we just say, okay, everything's done. I'm born again now. I get into heaven. I'm done with trying that. Now I'm going to live in this world. I'm going to live on earth. You'd say, well, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous on the same basis as if your marriage is the end point, not the beginning point. You're invited to know God. The failure to, go, to grow spiritually causes you to miss out on the depth of relationship, all the blessings that are related with knowing God. And you know what? You also lose the peace that comes from understanding life that's offered to you by our Creator. The goal of all spiritual discipline is ultimately to become like Jesus Christ. I said that a moment ago. And that's called sanctification. But look at it stated at Colossians 3.10. And it's on How does that start? How does that start, Roland? You got it? Do you think that's something you're supposed to do? Put on your new nature is direction for you. Ron, that's to you. Your direction. Your instruction. It's not just something just happens to you. Oh, I just fell back in the pool. There's some effort. There's some struggle. There's some growth as you put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator And become like him. But the Greek word know is related to the Hebrew word know. Which means an experience of. It's not an informational reference. Adam knew Eve. That's a whole lot more than than he knew her name. And we're called to know God experientially. 1 John 2.12. Which is where we'll, we'll spend the rest of the morning. Identifies three stages of spiritual growth. Children, young persons or youth, and these are, in the Greek, these are people under 40. And mature adults, three stages. So let's begin with the first stage. 
And there on your outline you see, spiritual children know the Father and receive forgiveness. 1 John 2.12 I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. The Greek literally says through his name, which is through his personhood. Now the word there for children is a Greek word, technia. And it actually means literally born ones. So it's a, it's, and, and it's a common biblical word for the children of God. Saved people are born ones. And the first step in that is you, you're forgiven. You're adopted. And you're forgiven not because of your behavior, not because of how beautiful you look. You're forgiven because of the sacrifice of Christ. Without any regard for your spiritual maturity or immaturity. Every child of God has had the penalty for all their sins. Past sins, present sins, even future sins. All their sins paid fully and forever by the death of Jesus. 14a, drop down. He writes references to the different, the different, the three different stages in different verses. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. Now that's a different word for children there. It's padia. And padia means an infant or a young child. And here it refers to an immature or a baby Christian. You can hear that Greek word in our word pediatrician. Every Christian, every believer, every born again person becomes a fully loved child of God by adoption. How's that feel, Jane? And when we're adopted by God, we don't know much about him. Is that true? I saw my grandchild yesterday. My wife had one of those, you know, those slick, glossy sheets from the sonogram. And she showed it to me. My daughter, Aubrey, and her husband, Ken, will tell us this, tell the whole family this afternoon what sex this child is. But I think God whispered to me the sex when I looked at this picture. But you know what? I looked at this grainy picture of my 16-week-old grandchild. And I love that child, but that child doesn't know anything about me. And the child's leg was so that I couldn't tell anything. <laughs> but I could tell this. This child has long legs. 16 weeks old. And I love this child today. Child hadn't done anything for me. Child doesn't even know my name. Wouldn't recognize my voice. Although Carrie Garrett's child, Ava, when she was carrying her, could recognize my voice in the service. Carrie said that whenever I would preach and she was in the service, that, that baby would get restless. But I thought, well, they do that as adults too. <laughs> and, A human infant 
knows her parents. But doesn't know much about them. Is that true? A baby is connected to those two people who love, nurture, protect, and provide for him. What are an infant's first words? (laughs) Not mama, Barbara. The highest percentage are dada, but followed closely by mama. Followed very closely. And maybe in your instance, it was mama first. Sometimes it is, sometimes it is, but it's... A spiritual child knows her father, knows his father. And that child, in that childlike way, delights in the relationship with that one who loves, nurtures, protects, and provides. A daddy that's spent the time with his infant can soothe that child. But that child knows nothing about that daddy. That's a newborn spiritual child. Galatians 4, 6. On 940. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Dada, Dada. Abba is the Aramaic word, but what it means is daddy. A child knows his or her daddy. And you know what? Even a newborn spiritual child knows her daddy. Knows his daddy. The spiritual child knows God and and delights in that, that, that comforting, loving, personal relationship. But that affection, you have to you have to admit that affection lacks knowledge. So, like small children, baby Christians need to be taught and trained. Infants are self-centered. Is that fair? Some people stay infants throughout their lives. Both physically and spiritually. Their lives are controlled by how they feel and what they want. Children, especially these young ones, are motivated by urges and emotions, not by knowledge and wisdom. Spiritual children do have joy. That God is their father. They delight in spiritual experiences of being loved. They have appreciation for the forgiveness of their sins. And they have hope of of a priceless inheritance in heaven. But they don't know much more. But because of their immaturity. And because of their self-centered focus. They lack discernment. So they're susceptible to being deceived and led astray. Young young 
Christians shouldn't be direct in their own life. They don't have the discernment. They don't have the wisdom. They don't, they're, they're easily deceived. They're easily led astray. They reach for the shiny things. Have you experienced forgiveness of your sins? Have you experienced love of the Father? Have you? Then you are a born one. Though you may still be a spiritual child. The second stage. Young believers defeat Satan and know God's word. Verse 13, the latter part of verse 13. Remember, we're going back and forth to 1 John 2. The latter half of that verse says, I am writing to you who are young in the faith, who are youth. But like I said, in Greek, was under 40. Because you have won your battle with the evil one. That's a little bit astounding, isn't it? The characteristics is of a young believer, a youth in Christ, is that he or she has defeated the devil. We think, oh no, you got to be mature. Oh no, 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 no. This is this is just a little bit of development. The young person, the youth, is able to recognize and resist Satan's temptations. Well, how does that happen? How can a young Christian, a youthful believer, stand firm against Satan's schemes? Well, it says it down in verse 14. The latter part. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. Infants are weak. But when you're a youth, you need to be strong. God's word lives in your heart. That's how you're strong. And you have won your battle with the evil one. Spiritual youths are equipped to defeat Satan through their understanding of Scripture. That's biblical doctrine, that's, that's theology. And you say, well, well, you don't have to know all the Scripture. You know, even Jesus used what to defeat Satan? He did, didn't he? He quoted the Bible to, to that devil. Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Here's what Satan does. Satan distorts the truth about God's character and nature. To tempt us into ignorant disobedience. Just as he did Eve. Don't y'all see it in our culture? All these people call themselves Christians are living immoral lives. Well, God's forgiven me. You've been deceived. If you're saved, you're an infant living that way. Because, because remember what he did Eve. He strolls up. Eve's happy. She's in there. You know, she's exposing everything. She, but she doesn't even know it. She's all happy. And Satan said, Is it true that God told you you can't eat anything in this garden? Put that doubt. She said, well, no, that's not true. I mean, God said we, we can't eat just one fruit in the garden. We can eat everything else, but just one. There's only one we can't eat. Oh, 
You know why I told you that? He told you that. That's the best one. If you get that one, you'll be like him. So what'd Satan do? Satan prodded Eve to think, he's not a good God. He's holding out from, from me. Any of you ever thought that? Boy, I hear it in the culture today. What do you mean the church says this isn't right? What do you mean that isn't right? What do you mean? It isn't about the church. It's about God's word. That's the trick of Satan. He's just holding, he's just holding out on you. He's withholding something from you that would really be good for you. Same trick, isn't it? Genesis chapter 3. Read it. He lies also about the way of salvation. You just pray this prayer, walk this aisle, or you receive communion, or you, you know, just do this thing. The problem is there's no human structure. I'm not being... Any, in any denomination, let me say that. There's no human structure that effects salvation. Those are symbolic. The Spirit of God gives us new birth. And Jesus said, you can't hem him up. He's like the wind that blows whither he will from where he comes and where he goes. I don't know. But yet... It's common that people say, don't you dare doubt your salvation. You know you did this. Either you, you, know, you, you went to First Communion or you, you have you know, got baptized as an infant or you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer in a, in a, at a camp. So don't you doubt anything. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says examine yourself to see if you have genuine faith. I'm not saying any of those actions are insincere. But they don't ensure salvation. You receive salvation by receiving salvation. You following me? Is this confusing? Satan tempts people to create a God of their own imagination. A God who who agrees with their opinions and their preferences. How could there be a God who you're advising? And let me tell you this. You are are always, you always display the nature of your God. Whatever your life is like, it's a reflection of the God you worship. For good or bad, it's a reflection of the God you worship. So we have to be sure we're worshiping God as He reveals Himself. Look at Romans chapter 1, 21 through 23. We need to know the God of revelation, not the God of my imagination. Very different, isn't it? The strength to defeat Satan comes from knowing God's word. Because God's word reveals the truth and it exposes the lies of the devil. Satan cannot deceive you or cause you to sin if you know what God's word teaches and you're committed to obey it now don't you don't say this out loud and don't even raise your hand but think about the time when you were in the deepest swamp you've ever been swamp of sin I'm talking about if you had known what God had to say and if you had been willing and and committed to obey it would you have ever gotten into that swamp 
That's how you defeat Satan as a young person in the Lord. You don't ever take a long, leering look at what he's offering. You say, "Mm -mm, not for me. Not for me. Young people, spiritually speaking, are Christians who have acquired knowledge of the truth and they're no longer vulnerable to being led astray into false doctrine and disobedient behavior. But you can't get there without effort. Do you know that? You can't grow into a spiritual youth, a young person, unless you grow in your understanding and obedience of God's word. Have you defeated Satan's influence in your life by knowing God's word? If so, then you're a spiritual young person. The third stage of spiritual growth is that mature believers know Christ intimately. 13, verse 13. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And then he repeats the same thing to the mature in the middle of 14. I've written to you who are mature in the faith. Literally, the Greek says fathers. Or elders. Because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. He just says the same thing both times. The third stage of spiritual development has some similarities with the first one. In the first one, you knew the Father. In this one, you don't just know the Bible. You know the God who revealed the Bible. Through His Son and through the Holy Spirit. You've begun to know the character, the nature, even the personality of God. Now, if you don't know God, then my use of the word personality will sound strange to you. But if you spent, have spent time learning God, you will know his ways. That's what Moses said. He said, God, don't show, don't, don't show me your deeds. Show me your ways so I can continue to walk in you. With you. So you need to know her ways. You don't need to know just things she's done in the past. Because if you know her ways, you know how to please her always, right? We need to know the ways of God. Not just the deeds of God. Very different. Very different. The youth know the deeds of God from studying the scripture. The mature know the ways of God. Because they know God intimately. And this intimate knowledge of God transforms life into an experience of worship. And really worship isn't, you know, coming to service and singing together. Worship is really an attitude we have toward God. It's a life of devotion with a continual awareness of His presence. When we sing, that should be an overflow of the relationship we already have. The worship in this church is improving. I, don't, I hope you can see that, can sense that. And you say, well, is it because the music's better? No, the, the music was extremely good from the very first service. But what's happening is that many of you are maturing in Christ. And you can feel it, hear it in the worship. It's not just enthusiasm. It's out of a deep place. It's out of a relationship. 
You know, when you, maturity is when you get to the point where your soul is saturated in the knowledge of God so that your life is lived in His presence, in His kingdom. So your worldview, how you interpret life's events, is, is not material, it's spiritual. When something happens around you, good or bad, do you see it in terms of God? And what God might be doing in and through it. Because do you see God's hand at work in every situation and circumstance? Especially the difficult ones. Philippians 3, 10 and 11 say, Paul wanted to know God and share in his suffering. Like a spiritual child, your, your focus is on your relationship with God. But now it's fuller. It's richer. It's it's. It's fully informed by biblical truth so you don't speculate about what God might want. You just know. I'm not talking about which car to buy. But you know how to walk with God. You know what I'm talking about. In Romans 12 too, we've been studying this for two years. but I think we'll get it down in maybe five more, but Romans 12, 2. Y'all know this passage. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, which will make you less comfortable in this world, by the way. You'll find out this world doesn't have much to offer. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Not because you read it in the book. See, you've studied the book. You know him from the book. Now you know him personally from time you've spent in prayer. Getting to know him intimately. And you just know it's God's God's will because you know God's ways. And because you've been transformed, his will will be good and pleasing and perfect. It's obvious, isn't it? We live in a a culture of either very immature Christianity or people who are religious and not saved at all. Because if God's will differs from theirs, they reject God's will. And who is God? The spiritually mature person hears and recognizes God's voice. He or she knows Him intimately through considerable time in prayer. Do you recognize God's voice? Now, I don't think it happens um, faultlessly. You know what I'm saying? There are times I know it's God, and there are times I can, it can be my own thoughts. You know what I'm saying? So you have to be careful. Don't go, you know, you check things. You check things. When I looked at that little glossy picture, I felt like God told me what my little grandchild is. We'll see. Aubrey's going to tell the whole family today. We learn God's nature by studying and meditating on the person of Jesus. That's where you start. You see what I'm saying? If you're just starting out, then yes, you pray, but you, got, you need some content. You see what I'm saying? You need some information. 
about what God is like. And so we study the person of Christ because in John 14, 9, he said, Thomas said, well, show us the Father and we'll believe. Jesus said, I've been here with you all this time. When you see me, you see the Father. Boy, I want our church to grow. I'm committed to growing myself. Will you commit to growing? This year, we're going to study the entire life of Jesus. We've selected a book. We have a Brookwood cover for it. In December, we're going to start studying what's called a harmony of the Gospels, which is all four Gospels synthesized together in one, in one narrative. And we're going to study the entire life of Jesus for about a year so we can know God by knowing His Son. Are you a child spiritually who knows the Father and who's been forgiven of your sins? Or are you a young person who knows what the Bible says and is not susceptible to Satan's schemes? Or are you a spiritually mature person who knows the heart of God, who hears his voice, who experiences his presence? We have some of those, but I sh- I'm afraid not nearly enough. I'm asking you, will you grow mature in the Lord? Our church needs it. Our community needs it. Our country desperately needs it. Your soul training for this week is ask yourself and ask God to show you, where am I spiritually? And how can I grow closer to God? How can I know his son like the mature person does? Do you want to grow spiritually? That's my question. Do you? I'd like you to respond to that. Do you want to grow spiritually? Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. You know, I wish that Perry's sermons were all you needed, but sadly it's not true. In fact, you have my permission If I ever say something that doesn't align with God, you just flush away what I say. What matters is not how many times you go to church. In fact, if I say something that doesn't line up with God, you you didn't get anything. But you need to come to worship to hear from God. That's one way. So you come, you bring your Bible, you fill out your outline. You fill out your outline. You learn more when you fill it out and you take some notes. And you join a group. You get with some other Christians who can love you and help you grow. Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's in exhortation or confrontation. It's always through prayer. Join a group. And the discussion guide, the inner panel on the right, is a discussion guide to use in small groups. And then prepare for the messages in advance. I could kiss every one of you for reading First John. But I'm asking you, will you keep it up? Prepare in advance. These next four weeks, I've synthesized verses out of 1 John. So I'm not preaching in order. But on the back panel, I'm giving you the verses I'll deal with next week. And there's some questions for you to to use in advance. So you come prepared in advance. Will you do that? It'll take some time. It may take you 30 minutes out of your life. But how much is growing to know God worth? Not only do you need it, 
Our church needs it. Our land needs it. There'll be counselors here. If I've, if I've stirred something up in you and you want someone to talk to or pray with, as, as in every week, counselors will be at the front. They'll also be in the care connection room. If you would like, as we did two weeks ago, um, there's always oil here. Counselors, come on up. Where are y'all hiding from me? Um, there's always oil. You've got plenty of oil, don't you, Gene? So if you, if you want to be prayed for and anointed with oil, it's only a dab of oil. And James, according to James 5, 13 through 18, here's what I believe. I, I spent time in Cleveland watching a guy who had, had prayed for people and lots of people were healed. I, I, not in my observation, but in other times when he was praying. You know what? I believe we're not seeing God work those wondrous miracles because we're not asking for them. We're not praying for them. We're not obeying for them. We're not calling for them. Let's don't let that happen. So if you have some reason, something that you need to, to, that's physically bothering you, emotionally, spiritually, then these counselors will anoint you with oil and pray for you. And if you have been anointed or prayed for and you have answered prayer, we'd like to know it. So you can email to answeredprayerbrookwoodchurch.org because I want it to be a, a characteristic of this church that we believe in answered prayer. I believe that if we give God all the glory, I believe we'll see more miracles right in our midst. Father God, I pray that you'll guide us, that you'll draw us to yourself, that you'll teach us, that you'll let us grow intimate with you. In your blessed Son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.